when your business stays innovative and fresh, you tend to be at the forefront of your industry versus the blockbuster of your industry, which I'm just going to say traditional publishers are looking like blockbuster. Welcome to Fascinating Entrepreneurs. How do people end up becoming an entrepreneur? How do they scale and grow their businesses? How do they plan for profit? Are they in it for life or are they building to exit? These and a myriad of other topics will be discussed to pull back the veil on the wizardry of successful and fascinating entrepreneurs. My book, Relentless, is now available everywhere books can be bought online, including Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. Try your local indie bookstore too, and if they don't have it, they can order it. Just ask them. The reviews are streaming in, and I'm so thankful for the positive feedback, as well as hearing from people that my memoir has impacted them positively. It is not enough to be resilient. You have to be relentless. You can go to therelentlessbook.com for more information. Thank you so much. Melanie Johnson is the owner and founder of Elite Online Publishing, which has published over 3,000 books. She got her start in the industry by owning and operating two TV stations in Houston and Dallas that grew to be worth over $100 million. We talk about what led to her transition to publishing, how she shares responsibilities with her co-founder, and the marketing strategies authors should know about. Now let's get right into it. The best things in life are never planned, right? God has a plan for you. You think you're going to do one thing and you end up doing something totally different. First of all, when I left television and owned and operated two independent TV stations in major markets in Texas, um, really thought in 2009 that TV was dying. And now that YouTube has the NFL games, I'm certain that it's going to be dead. Those are some of the last nails in cable and just over the air broadcasting. But anyway, so I really wanted to have a journey of learning about the internet and learning about YouTube and everyone could be their own TV station. And so I ran into some things, ended up going to some different seminars and went to this one seminar that was just over the top learning and he would do it several times a year. So I would go and you'd see some of the same people there and befriended a woman named Jen Foster there. And I had a villa at the time down in the Dominican Republic, which I still do actually. And she's like, you know, I don't have my kids. You don't have your kids. We should go to your villa. What do you think about that? During during that same time, she was, but if we go, we should make money. So we had learned how to do book publishing on our journey about all this digital marketing and all of these things. So we had both published a couple books on our own and said, well, let's do a book writing retreat. And Jen's background was web design. So on the breaks, we created a website, a Facebook page, did videos on the breaks. Canva had just come out. No one even knew what Canva was, made the logo, did all of that. And we did a book writing retreat for just a few people. And came back, launched the books, they hit number one. And the next thing I knew, people were emailing me, calling me, can you go to lunch? I didn't know you published a book. Can I talk to you about my book? So the next thing I knew, I told Jen, I think we have a little business here because we were just going to do book writing retreats, which we only did the one. We've never done another one. And people always know us for the book writing retreat. Isn't that funny? So almost eight years later, we've had about 300 books that we've published for other people, over 3,000 books we've done in total because we did a whole suite of books for ourselves. And that's how our business began. Well, I guess I don't need to ask the next question was, how did you meet your business partner? But the follow-up question to that is, what roles do you each have in the business and how do you 
create that separation. You know, I think it takes a while to figure out who's good at what. I mean, we were kind of just thrown together. We knew each other casually, really. I knew she was technical, more technical than me. And she knew I was less technical, but I had a little bit more marketing and business organization type skills. And I love how we have learned to really have our own lanes. At first, she would give me technical stuff to do and I'd be pulling my hair out and it would take hours. I'm like, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing, right? This is not in my lane, so to speak. So I would say the last three years, we've really figured that out. And then we've also learned to delegate and to add people to our team. So we've each found what we like to do, what we're best at. And now we're just accelerating because of that. But it takes a while to find out, especially if you're a solopreneur, is figuring out what you're good at, what your strengths are, and then find those other people that are experts in that. And we've also learned that you have to hire tens. We've had our days of hiring sixes and sevens, meaning they're not that wonderful, but maybe they didn't cost us as much, but they really end up costing you more. So get the best of the best to work for you. And it may be a tight squeeze at first, but it's really worth it hundred percent. What method do you use to find those tens or those A players in your organization? We've refined our questionnaire process. And I think one of the biggest things we ask is, especially we get a lot of young people in our business is what is your dream five years from now? Where do you see yourself five, 10 years from now? What's your ideal job that you could be doing? There was a great gal that worked for us, but I knew she was not going to stay. I thought we shouldn't hire her from the beginning because her dream job was to be a photographer and go to Africa and take pictures and do all this stuff. And I thought that is just not us. And she was still kind of doing that on the side. Eventually she went that way, like just two years later and you train someone and you do all that. And it really would have moved us to say, even though she's going to be great and it's temporary, we should have like said no and gone with the right person that would have stayed with us. And that same rule of thumb goes for hire slow, fire fast, right? When you know your gut instinct, and I know we've had people in more in Jen's division that have come on sometimes, and then she's just, uh, uh. and then when I finally were like, this is it, we need to move on to someone else. It's like she broke up with a bad boyfriend. All of a sudden it's like, oh, I feel so much lighter. This is so much better. It's easier. So it's really knowing that to do that. But I always say, please don't leave yourself in the lurch, right? Because have something lined up that you're looking for somebody and have that in the works already. And one thing that we learned is we had the people in the current position write their job description. What's your job description? What are you doing? What do you think you could do different? If you had to hire someone to be in your spot, what would you say that they should do? Because we may hire someone else to be in your spot with you. And so that's been really helpful too, I would say. What kind of roles are at Elite Online Publishing? Oh gosh. So we have publishing coordinators. We have editors. We have my liaisons. We just call them publishing liaisons but they're really in marketing, sales, kind of directly under me, managing a lot of parts of the company that are moving, shifting around social media, social media marketing. And I would say that's about it. And we have ghostwriters that we work with that are part of our team, but they're not employees, so to speak. They're independent contractors. And I don't know why I'm thinking of this, but since I am, I figure other listeners might as well. Mm -hmm. For accounting, do you have an in-house bookkeeper, an accountant? Are you using a CFO? 
What we that outsource like? that. So I would say in-house, I'm more of the CFO, watching over all the numbers and keeping my eye on that. But then we have a bookkeeper that's not in-house. She's outsourced, but she does all the taxes and all. So we get all our monthly reports that look really pretty from her. And then I match those up with the numbers that I have and um, seeing, making sure we're on track and looking at all that. And it's important to review that regularly. So a lot of people don't look at their numbers. So I look at our numbers three, four times a week. It's in what I call my default calendar of things that I have to do on a regular weekly basis. So always look at those numbers, keep track of those numbers. Metrics are everything. Agree with you there. So switching to what you guys really shine at doing, I'd love for you to educate, to teach for a little bit about book marketing strategies that every author should know about. So I think it starts with the mindset, especially let's focus on nonfiction books. I think that's what you wrote too. So let's focus on nonfiction. So I think a lot of authors get tied up into selling an individual book on Amazon. And we try and shift that mindset to, first of all, it's giving you a lot of credibility, especially if you do a program where you're a number one best-selling author. So it's giving you a lot of credibility. It's setting you up as an expert. It's giving you SEO. Amazon is like a behemoth of SEO. A lot of people don't realize that once you publish a book, you've just hired Amazon for life for free to promote you and your book. Um, if someone's searching for your topic, your name, it's going to come up on the first page of search. So that's really huge. So we want to shift your mindset of what it does for you as an individual and for your business. So think of it as, and I hate to say it as a business card or a brochure or something like that, but you can use it in so many different ways. So I'll give you an example. Let's say you're a consultant and you're wanting to get your foot in the door and you just haven't been able to reach a high level company owner or business owner from, you know, could be from Apple that you're trying to reach an executive. So here's a great strategy. You have to say, how much is a client worth to me? And what's the lifetime value of a client? And if you got just one lifetime client from your book, what would that mean to your business? So here's a little trick. We say, send the book to the executive, earmark a page or a chapter, send a personal note and say, read page 98. I think this will change your business. And you can even say, here's a link to a personal video I left for you if you want it, if they want to go that far too. So usually somebody who has a secretary or assistant is not going to open a personal package. So it's going to go on their desk because who knows what somebody is ordering, right? It could be something personal. (laughs) So it's going to go right in their desk and nobody throws a book away. And you know, their curiosity is they're going to open it to that page. And another trick is don't send them one book, send them two. Say, hey, and share this with somebody else in your office might be the vice president, HR director, whoever it is that you're trying to connect with and see what they think about this as well. So that is another great tip. And I love this story. There was an author that we had and they sent a book to somebody, sent it to their home. It was a potential client. The client put it on their nightstand and never read it, never opened it, but looked at it for almost a year. And then he called the guy and he said, listen, he says, I've been staring at your book for a year. I just want to hire you. So these are the things. And then I also, just another quick tip, another thing you should think about is in book sales wise, as they do get wrapped up in book sales, if you're a speaker or maybe that same company, you think everybody in that company should have that book, go ahead and send 
a copy to everyone in the office or a division. So let's say you send 50 books and each book costs you $5, including shipping and printing and everything. That's a $250 investment. Do you think you'll make an impact on that office if every single person has your book on their desk that day? I think they're going to be talking about you. It's like an instant forced, but beautifully forced book club. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> and you're going to get this notoriety. And then the other thing I like authors to think about is not just individual sales, but bulk sales. How do I sell somebody a hundred books, a thousand books, 500 books? How can I partner with another sponsor? Let's say I have a soup recipe book. I could sponsor with Nabisco crackers where they could give my book away. So there's just a lot of different things that we try and work with, with our authors from the beginning. How do we align this book and the book sales for your business to propel your business forward? Whether a client is worth $5,000 or $50,000 for you, that's the kind of success we want our clients to have. Have you ever thought that you should write a book, that you should write the story of your life to help other people learn from your experience? Please go to memoirsherpa.com and learn how I can help you write Figure out your publishing path and market your story, your memoir to a bestseller status. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what you helped me with actually, and that is the A plus content on Amazon and how you can really amplify and optimize your space up there on that free SEO search wagon uh, <laughs> that Amazon is. So Amazon just started doing this, this A-plus content. And what that is, is when you pull up a book listing and you scroll down, you can have beautiful graphics, quite a few of them. There's no limit that they're saying right there. So we've designed different templates for our authors where it has maybe quotes from the book, editorial reviews, comments there, special little comments, beautiful graphics from inside the book. So you can really give someone this extra special glimpse into you and your book. And I want to add something. So, and I don't think you even know this. So they gave us A plus content, right? But they took away our Amazon author page. So our Amazon author page used to be able to have eight videos and eight photographs. And we would really, really hone in on this and make this blown out for our authors and be very strategic of the photographs and videos. So this happened maybe three weeks ago. We went on to the author page. All of it was gone except for your bio. So the only thing that comes up now is the picture of your book and your bio, which you can click on to see more and other books that you've written. So, so no, more, no more RSS feed. No more. No. Photos, no more. I wonder if they did that because of a lack of storage or do we know why they? We don't know. Now, the, the crazy thing is in the UK and Australia and all these other countries, it's still there. It's just not in the United States. So we're thinking that it's a beta, that they're rolling it out here first, and then it's going to be everywhere else as well. And I'm thinking they thought, well, let's give them A plus content. More people are going to see that. And then we'll take away this on the Amazon author page and make it simple and clean. So what we're doing is making sure, which we did for authors anyways in their bio is put all their links because most authors don't 
put links. They just put their bio there. So we like to put not just a link to your website, but a link to all your products, all your services. If you're a speaker, put a link for you to speak there. If you have a course, put your course there. Anything that you want to send people to, if it's a podcast, send them there. So really beef up those links and make sure you have those there in your bio now since they took away everything else, sadly. Right. And to just note to anyone listening, those links aren't hyperlinked. So it's a copy and paste situation. Mm -hmm. Of course, Amazon wants you to stay on their page, smart of them, but there's a workaround and that is just spell it out and let people copy and paste. Mm -hmm. What is a frustration that you see a lot of authors not doing that you want to say, oh my gosh, please, can you just do this one thing? (laughs) Yeah. One really simple thing that I will say that I would say probably 90% of the authors that come to us do not have a call to action in their book. So they've written the book and then nobody knows what to do or where to go. So what we like to do is put a call to action in the very front of the book and it should be somewhere where they can go to get more information. And I don't mean more information like, oh, go to my website. No, we want you to give them something of value that they can opt in because people don't realize Amazon does not give you the names, email addresses, contact information of people who buy your book. So it's critical to get that information. So if you can give them an inside video, you can give them PDFs, anything that you can give them and take them say, hey, this is my gift to you for getting this book, click over here. They put their name and email in, and now you can retarget them for other books and other products and services. So I would say that's one of the biggest mistakes authors make is they don't have a call to action or they'll say, I got a call to action. It's at the very end. But the thing is, if it's in the beginning, when they scroll through, they do the preview on Amazon, they can see it. They don't even have to buy your book. And guess what? That link is a hyperlink. They can click right from there without buying your book and get it. They're like, oh, to buy my book. And I'm like, no, silly. The reason part of you want to buy the book is so you get their name, email, and phone number, right? Right. And their business. mm -hmm. So if they're going to opt in, you're eventually, they're going to buy the book or they're going to buy a bigger product or service from you. So I think that's something that's key for someone to do to make sure they do that. And they write the book for the target audience that they're looking for. That's a big mistake. They're kind of here, there, and everywhere. Write the book for that one person that you're looking for. Right. And most of the authors that you're working with are writing a subject matter or a topic of their zone of genius, correct? Yes. So we have mostly nonfiction or memoirs. We do some fiction. We just did a fiction that hit Wall Street Journal recently. So we have fiction, children's books. We do too. But I would say really we hone in on that nonfiction. But like I said, we don't like to say no to our fiction authors because we love them too. But probably 80% of our business is nonfiction and business owners. Mm -hmm. And do you think that most of those 80%, are they writing this book to increase business or to really just share from their heart, their knowledge and want to give that out? How many are really, and not to knock this, but it's brilliant, a business card book. There are some authors that write a book just to what you said earlier. Mm -hmm. Some people never open them, but it also immediately raises their authority. So what are you seeing in your line of work? I'm going to say the majority of them are both. They love to tell from their heart. They passionately want to help people and share their expertise with them and get that story that's in their head out as well as 
give their knowledge. And I would say a lot of our authors, when they're creating their book, because we do a thing called a VIP day where people just have these ideas in their head, they don't know where to start. And within the day, they have almost 10,000 words written and their book is all structured. And most of them are vacillating. I don't know if I should tell my personal story because it's really compelling or if I should tell my expertise and really it's to combine those two things because your personal story can tie into your expertise. How did you get to where you are? Who made you who you are to get this, the mindset, the hurdles you had to overcome to get there? And it's really combining both of that. So you're not going to get to tell your whole memoir story, right? But you're going to get to tell those core pieces when we do a VIP day we laugh and we always time it out how long it is until the author cries because usually there's <laughs> makes them cry when they do it. But I would say the majority of them really heartfelt. They know they want to do both. It's unusual where we get somewhere and where it's, oh, it's only business. I'm just doing this to get money and I just want to get this out. It's really part of their personal story. And that's our favorite. We like stories that inspire motivate and educate. It's having that combination. It's going to serve the author and the reader the best when you do that. That's my advice to someone who wants to write a book. Think of that to have all those three elements. And then people are going to know, like, and trust you and feel like they are close to you and have an intimate relationship Mm -hmm. with you. I think one of the authors that comes to mind that has really nailed this is Mike Michalowicz. You know, the problem with his work, what's the um, name of his book? Profit First, The Pumpkin Plan. He's just so well-known in the entrepreneurial space and he's really dialed it in. So if you're listening to this and you don't know Mike Michalowicz, you should check him out. He's got it down. So switching subjects back to your business, what Mm -hmm. is the biggest challenge that you guys are facing right now, as in today, this week in your business? You know, I would say the nature of our business is we don't take royalties, right? So it's we publish an author and then the cash flow doesn't come until we publish another author. So it's like selling real estate, you sell a house and then you gotta wait till you sell the next house. So we've been working on how do we create reoccurring revenue so we have that steady flow of income. And I think that's a lot of businesses too that are in sales type businesses, whether you're selling swimming pool installations, is you know how to keep that reoccurring revenue and cash flow going and you don't have those ebbs and flows in your business. So I would say that's a challenge. And I think one of the things that we've really been working on and been doing a good job at is really honing in our processes. Mm. And we ask that question every time something comes up. Oh, do we have a process for that? Oh, well, we need to do this and this. Oh, well, we have to have a process for that. So now it's like, we don't just let the idea factory go and throw it against the wall. It's like, no, we have to create a process. We need a form to fill out. We need a questionnaire to fill out. Like we're doing NFT publishing. We did several of those books this year where we turned their book into an NFT with utility. So it's like, well, we need a question. Like if new authors come in, we should have a form they fill out to make sure they're qualified to be an NFT author. You know, before we're like, oh, you want to do an NFT? Okay, let's do it. Now we're like, okay, now we need a, a really a form and set this all down and get the processes done. So looking at the challenge of the recurring revenue, I'm Mm -hmm. wondering if your typical client comes to you to publish a book, is there a lifetime value? I mean, are they publishing another book and another book or how are you looking at that one client and how they might live on in future years? 
Yeah. To have them like returning a return client. We do have clients that have come back with multiple books. We've had that. We had a client that actually published with another publisher, but they hired us to do their bestseller campaign. So they didn't know about us, but then they found out we could do a bestseller. And now she wasn't happy with the cover that was done and the formatting. So we're redoing her cover and her formatting. And we did come up with a concept to do a concierge service Mm -hmm. because um, as much as you and I are tech savvy. A lot of people are not tech savvy. So we get calls. How do I order my books again? I want to change the price on my book. So we took all of those frequently asked things that we were getting all the time and we put it into a service. There's like 10 different things. If you want your cover updated, your book, you want to add some things. The interior book needs to be reformatted. And we charge $89 a month and we call it the concierge service. Mm -hmm. So you just email us, Melanie, I'm speaking in Omaha. Can you send 500 books to Omaha? And then we place the order for them and the books show up and they don't have to lift a thing. Yeah, that's smart. So we have created that and that seems to be catching on a little bit for reoccurring. Mm -hmm. Great. And then the last question I want to talk to you about is, it's the new year. What is the number one strategy? I'm sure you have many, but if you could think of the number one strategy for growth that you're going to be doubling down on this year. Ah, that's a good question. We just went over some of this in our team meeting. So we have goals. One of the goals is to, I would say triple the amount of proposals that we send out. Mm-hmm. So if you're the more proposals, right, the more closings that we'll get. And one of the things we're really embracing is new products and services because we pride ourselves on being innovative. And I don't know if you've learned much, you probably have on chat GPT that has come out. So we challenged it's the team. all the rage. I swear yes. to God, I know that this has been around for a while. But if you ask me in the last five weeks, I've had a tidal wave of every single person I know talking about it or saying that they're working with it, which is wonderful. I love technology. So, but yes, it's definitely last year was NFT this year. It's not GPT. (laughs) And it's funny still, I think NFT is maybe only 1% of the audience. Or I would say when it first started 1%, maybe NFTs are 5% because I'll still mention the word NFT. And then I pause and I go, do you know what that is? And they go, no, I don't know what that is. Mm. And that happens to me probably eight out of 10 times. Yesterday, I was talking to someone who's 26, 27 years old, and I was talking about chat GPT and they didn't know what I was talking about. Mm. But it is more accessible and more user-friendly than NFTs on the onset, right? There's not as huge of a barrier to entry to understand and to learn and you don't have to get all the wallets and learn about crypto. And (laughs) yeah, that was a big labor of learning and trying to figure out how to do all that. So one of the things we've challenged our team with is everyone has to come up with three different service ideas that we could use AI for to create value for our customers within the publishing industry. How can this benefit them? You know, and some of the ideas, like I gave two to them already. I said, so maybe we can pull X amount of quotes from an author's book by using the service. Maybe we can do a summary book by using the service. And of course, we've realized when we monkey it around, as you've probably monkeyed around, you have to go back in and edit for sure. Oh, it's yeah. not exactly. But there's so many different uses. So we really want to figure out how to be innovative and come up with things that can really serve our authors marketing-wise, book creation-wise, to really take them to the next level with this technology. And I think that helps us grow as well, because when your business stays innovative and fresh, 
you tend to be at the forefront of your industry versus the blockbuster of your industry, which I'm just going to say traditional publishers are looking like blockbuster. For more information, go to the show notes where you're listening to this podcast. Want to know more about me? Go to my website, officialnatashamiller.com. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you loved the show. If you did, please subscribe. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please leave a review where you're listening to this podcast now. I'm Natasha Miller, and you've been listening to Fascinating Entrepreneurs.